You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Well, good morning to you all. My wife, she doesn't like that about me, but I, she's learned to live with it. I love awkward. I love awkward stuff. I just think it's so funny. Sometimes it doesn't translate so well in ministry time and stuff, but I don't know. I just really like awkward. I always wonder what God's going to do. If we just sit long enough and let things get weird enough, maybe he'll show up. Just you know. So We actually had a prophetic word about that this morning, something along those lines. Um, Diane had a, a picture in prayer this morning about sitting down at a table to eat, but everything had been reversed and turned around. And so she wanted to fix it and put it in the right spot. And she closed her eyes and it was back in the wrong spot again. And just really felt like that was the Lord saying, are you okay to be doing, doing something that you're not used to doing? Are you okay to eat in a different way, I guess? And so, I don't know. I'm always open to times like that because I like when God shows up. I don't know about you guys. I just don't, I don't think you can program intimacy. Put it that way. You can't program intimacy. You have to let, give, make room for God to show up and so... Um, we kind of did that last week. How many were here last week with us? We've been talking about the prophetic and prophecy and the role of prophets. It's all been wrapped around that the last few weeks. But last week we talked about it very little, but we went into some activation and stuff. And I, I really felt that was very strong. Always good to see the body of Christ jumping together and, and being to give words. And again, my heart in all of this is never to fill us with head knowledge, but to really move us into a place where we begin to understand that everybody in here can prophesy. How many in here can prophesy? Let me see your hand. Every room, every hand in the room should go up. Every hand should go up. You can all prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14 says that. You can all prophesy one by one. That doesn't necessarily mean we make a formula out of it. He's just saying that everybody has the ability to bring a word of encouragement. How many in here need to be encouraged? Yeah? Me too. I need it too. I need encouragement. I need to hear what God is saying, but I need to hear it through people as well. That's, I think we miss that sometimes. It's critically important that we really understand that. If, if my daughter comes to give me an encouraging word, it may be different than what Robert comes and gives me, but it's unique because it's all part of the body of Christ. I don't know if this is making sense or not. In other words, if you have a word to give, don't ever shy away from it. Don't ever shy away from it. Bring it with all the confidence that you can. 1 Peter 4 talks about it. As each one has received a gift, let us minister with that gift. Why? Because in it, it reveals the multifaceted colors of God. It's like looking at a gemstone. That's the church. You see it from one angle, it shines one way. You turn it another angle, it shines, and you see different colors another way. It's It's the way it is with the church. So if you ever have a prophetic word and you're going, man, this doesn't sound like the word that so-and-so gives. This, I don't know how to say the words right. Don't worry about that. Just speak it and let it out. I'm hoping this is helping this morning. Take your Bibles. Turn to 1 John. And we're going to finish up on this series um, talking about false prophets. Now, I don't know about you guys, but where I grew up in the culture that I grew up in, there was such a fear around false prophets. Ooh, false prophets. Amen. 
such a fear, such a worry, like we don't ever want to let false prophecy come out. And so what I found was that fear ended up restricting the very flow of the prophetic that we wanted to have. Because we were so afraid that somebody was going to be labeled or called a false prophet or they were going to give a false prophecy. So hopefully we can kind of debunk some of that stuff today as we're talking through it. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that he did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but he came to what? Fulfill the law and the prophets. Now this is critically important for us when we're talking about the role of the prophetic in the church. I'm going to share some things this morning that I've shared before. Um, I kind of like pull all these pieces together, and I know I repeat myself, but I think it's helpful. In the Old Covenant, the reason why the prophets were stoned if they got it wrong was because there was no Holy Spirit released on everybody, right? In the New Covenant, Holy Spirit has been released on everybody. Acts chapter 2 comes. We all love that passage. Day of Pentecost, it says, Holy Spirit came, and he appeared, tongues of fire. People began to speak in different tongues. And then Peter stands up and begins to preach about what just happened. And he says, this is what the prophet Joel prophesied about. And he begins to speak out of Joel chapter 2. And he says, I will pour out my spirit on what? All flesh. Your men servants, your maid servants, you're going to have dreams, you're going to have visions, you're young, you're old. So who gets in on it? Everybody gets in on it. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill them. What he was doing was bringing a recognition of the vast difference between old covenant prophecy and new covenant prophecy. We all know of the guy named John the Baptist, right? right. Anybody's heard of him? Right. You know, it's really interesting. Maybe we'll talk about it today when we do baptisms. But you know the word baptism is a Greek word. It's not an English word. It's, a, it's really a Greek word that we've kind of translated a little bit. Instead of saying baptizo in the Greek, we say baptism. There was no real word to translate that into. When the King James Bible was being translated, this is just fun facts. This one's free, okay? When the King James Bible was being translated, there was a lot of separation going on in, because of the Protestant Reformation there was a, uh, the Anabaptists had come along and they had said, no, the word baptizo means dunk. It means immersed. It means completely overwhelmed, sunken into. So the Anabaptists came along and they said, we're going to make everything. You can't, you're not really baptized unless you're pushed under the water. You're really not baptized. So they started even violently going after people who weren't dunked under the water. The King James, when it was being translated in 1611, did not want to translate the word into our normal English, which would have been dunked. Isn't that funny? Imagine this. He wouldn't have been called John the Baptist. He'd have been called John the Junker. <laughs> it means that. It literally means to be dunked or to be immersed, but they didn't want to associate with what was going on, so they left the word as the Greek word at the time. Now, we've come to know what that means. We all know what it means. That's not the point. The point is, John the Baptist comes on the scene, John the Dunker, he comes on the scene, and he's saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he lived aloof, he lived out by his own, he ate weird food, and he dressed funny, right? Could we think of any other Old Testament prophets that did weird things like that? Oh, yeah. Some of them lying naked on their side for days, cooking food over poop, I mean, you read the story, it's all in there. It's all crazy, crazy stuff. It's in there. 
So here, John the Baptist is coming, he comes along and he's a prophet. And Jesus says of John the Baptist, not one, says in Luke chapter 7, not one has arisen that's greater than John the Baptist. Right? But he goes on to say, but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than him. John separates himself, lives under a vow. He's going to eat certain foods. He dresses a certain way. He separates himself from people, but he's speaking, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes on the scene. He's saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but he's not avoiding wine like John the Baptist. He would have never had wine. Jesus comes on the scene and starts his ministry by having a kegger. (laughs) Read the story. He did. John the Baptist wouldn't have anything to do with the wrong kind of people. Jesus comes on the scene and he hangs out with all the wrong people. Why? What are we, what's he trying to do? He's trying to reveal there is such a vast difference between old covenant prophetic and new covenant prophetic. Now, why am I making such a big, strong point about this? Church, we have got to grow up. We have really got to grow up in how we see, how we operate in the prophetic we still have a lot of us in the church operating in old covenant realities in the prophetic. And we'll talk about that as we go through this this here in a moment. We need to understand that the prophetic now has radically changed from what it used to look like. If the word says, if Jesus is saying of John the Baptist, there has not one arisen that's greater than John the Baptist. No prophet. Now come on. Elijah? Elisha? I mean, come on. Dudes were beast, man. Guys could throw down. Samuel? Not one of his words ever felt... I mean, come on. And he's saying, no one's arisen greater than John the Baptist. But then it goes on to say, but the least in the kingdom is greater than him. Come on, you should find encouragement in this, right? I like that. I like that, that you were not in Old Covenant, you're not allowed to touch anything unclean, or you would be unclean, Right? Jesus changed all that. When Jesus was born, the first person to touch him was a pure virgin. But when he was born again, so to speak, when he came out of the grave, the first person to touch him was Mary Magdalene. Come on, these things aren't in there just for us to say, oh, neat story. There, there's reason for these things. I like, what, I like what Bill Johnson said. He says, in the Old Covenant... If you touch a leper, you, be un- you become unclean. In a new covenant, you touch a leper, and a leper becomes clean. You see, there's a big, huge difference between old covenant prophecy and the prophetic and the prophet and a new covenant. I'm so thankful for that. I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to live in fear at all when it comes to prophecy. Guys, let's all grow up. Can we grow up? Let's all grow up. Well, that person gave me a word, and that wasn't right at all. Well, okay, take it out of your mind and get rid of it then. Deal with it yourself. You're responsible for that word. You're responsible. You deal with that. If that doesn't resonate with you, if you feel like that's totally wrong, no, that's not right, whatever, you get, don't get all weirded out about it. Ooh, false prophet. I mean, really, come on. Do we have any kind of room for growth? Do we have any kind of room for learning? in all of this, if anything we see, what we talked about in 1 Corinthians 14 was, he's saying, I want everybody to learn. I want everybody to grow up in this. Everybody gets a chance to prophesy. Yeah. 
Why is it so different for us now? Because the prophetic is so important. If you looked at the gift mixes found in scripture, you guys know there are different gift mixes. There are gifts that come from the Father, gifts that come from Jesus the Son, and gifts that come from the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, those are all gifts of the Spirit. The charismata, that's the word of knowledge, word of faith, prophecy. That's all in there, tongues, all that stuff. You get to um, Romans chapter 12, and you've got the gifts of God. And they're beautiful. They're wonderful. Serving, giving, exhortation, administrations, all those things. Those are God-given gifts. You get to Ephesians chapter 4, and you see the gifts that Jesus gives, which are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. The only gift that's consistent in all three gift mixes is what? It's prophecy. It's what it is. Every single one of them. And it's so important for us that we learn how to operate in it. But Andrew, I don't know how to prophesy. It's okay. Here's what you do. Start with your Bible. This is the best way to start prophesying over someone if you've never done it before. Pick up your Bible, open it up to the book of Psalms, find something really encouraging in there, and then start to speak it over somebody. What'll happen is this one thing. You will start to feel something where it changes from right here to right here, and you'll start to recognize I'm catching what God's heart is. And it wouldn't be surprise me at all if you begin to prophesy from your head, reading scripture, it makes the connection down to your heart, and all of a sudden you start to speak things that are not written down there because you're catching God's heart. Does this sound good? Yes. It's super easy. It really is. And I want this to be the culture of who we are around here. I've said it before. I'll say it again. How awesome will it be to have greeters standing at the door? They aren't just saying welcome, but they're prophesying over people when they walk in the door. So those of you who are doing the greeting, guess what? Game on. It's time. And if you're not and you want to be, come on, get a part of it. How great is it to have... I do that whenever I get a chance. I'm usually pretty busy when we start moving in the morning, but just to be able to put hands on somebody, and you don't even have to say anything necessarily, but inside I'm going, oh God, just whack them really hard. Get them good. Get them really good. Why? Because I want people to encounter God. I'm not interested in standing up here and pontificating, so maybe it tickles your ears. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in people encountering the Savior. I'm interested in people encountering the creator of the universe. That's why we come together, isn't it? Good. About half of you think so. (laughs) So why is it so important for us to prophesy? I think, number one, it's because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what Corinthians tells us. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are not to be a people who go and divide and make different camps. We're about people who reconcile. We're bringing everything together. We're we're bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he got rid of that dividing wall, the word says, Galatians says. He got rid of that dividing wall, that separation. He's talking about the Jews and the Greeks, but that wall had to do with a lot of things that we deal with today. Right? Right? I'm going to hold my tongue there. (laughs) Old Old Testament prophets were letting people know they can't enter the kingdom because they deserve to be judged. New Testament prophets are letting people know they have been brought into the kingdom even though we didn't deserve it. Come on, that's a good word. You don't repent so that you can be forgiven. You repent because you are forgiven. Come on, this is a big deal. Old covenant demanded something happen in order for restitution. 
A sacrifice had to be made in order to be clean, right? That's Old Covenant. New Covenant is a sacrifice was made and you became clean. Now you just start to believe it. Come on, that's a good word right there. Maybe you guys haven't heard it. The sacrifice was made and it made you clean. Amen? What do you mean, Andrew? I didn't get a choice in the matter? Nope, too bad for you. In other words, the Old Testament was not really the gospel. The Old Testament was a transaction. Oh boy, do I feel a bunny pass coming on here. Exodus, I'm taking it. Exodus chapter 18. God said to the entire nation of Israel when they came out of Egypt, he said to the entire nation, he said, I want to make all of you guys priests. All of you. And they all replied with, yeah, man, sounds great, cool. It was worded a little different, but that's what they said. Then Moses goes up on the mountain, talks with God a little bit. You got thunder, you got lightning, you got all this crazy stuff that's happening. Oh, again, rent the DVD. I don't know, but it's going to be awesome. Thunder, lightning, smoke, all that stuff happening up there. They freak out. Moses comes down from the mountain and they say, um, uh, yeah, we changed our mind. How about you talk to God and then come tell us what he says? God wanted to create a covenant at that point with the people of God that was a grant covenant. It's what's called a grant covenant. It meant, I am doing everything. You don't have to do anything. They said no to that. So what happened, that's when the law entered. God still had a covenant with them. But it was not a grant covenant where he did everything. It was a covenant where he said, this is one of those covenants where it's got to be equal. So I'll do my part, now you've got to do your part. It's not what I wanted, it's what you wanted. Hello? It's not what I wanted, it's what you wanted. So, I'm true to my word. You're going to have to be true to yours. And we know the story. The whole thing was about, I need to do this in order to get clean. I need to do this in order to be accepted. Boy, I really feel this right now. I need to perform in order for someone to like me. I need to say the right things in church in order to be accepted. I need to pray the right prayer before God will say yes to me. Listen, church, listen close. He said yes to you way before you ever said yes to him. He said yes to you way before you ever said yes to him. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us, Titus says. It's not by works of righteousness we have done. Jesus comes on the scene and he frustrates everybody. He comes on the scene and he appears with people he shouldn't be appearing with. He's having wine parties. He's hanging around with drunkards. He's doing all this stuff. And everybody's freaking out. And they're coming to him saying, wait, we know this old way. We know the old covenant. We know the old prophets. And he says, yeah, well, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Dude, you know anything about the Pharisees? Other than they were not fair, you see? I'm sorry. I apologize for that one. That was my daughter. That was totally for my daughter. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, well, how's that going to happen? Listen, church, there is not one single spiritual gyration you can go through to make yourself righteous. Not one. Not one single thing. The beauty 
in the person of Jesus and the transition from old covenant to new covenant is this one thing right here that he makes you righteous. Come on, this, this should all help us in our Christian walk. Whenever we start feeling like, oh God, I can't keep it together. I can't do it anymore. Good. Stop trying. That should bring you to a place of frustration. That's all Jesus did. He, tried to make, he took people who thought they were going to work their way into the kingdom and he frustrated them in the very thing that they were trying to do. And he tailor fit it for every person that came to him. Custom fit, just for you. Here's your little works program. Rich young ruler. Well, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. Well, now go sell everything you have. Now, we've turned that into a program. We turn into a program and we think some people are spiritual if they sell everything they have. Well, maybe that's not for them to do. That was for him to do because it was tailor fit for him. You hear where I'm going with this, right? There was a huge transition that happened between the old covenant and the new covenant. And God, help me. I will give my life to this, but it's this one thing. It really is this one thing. To see the church wake up to the reality that you can't do anything to earn your righteousness. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. 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 We're going to celebrate baptisms later on today. It's going to be beautiful. But even your baptism is not your half of the equation. It's not even close. Well, this is just my response to what he did. Yeah, that's kind of true, but really, it's not just a response as in you're doing your part. What you're simply saying by baptism, you're saying, he said... In Romans 6, God has already revealed this to us, that we are buried with him through baptism and we are raised to walk in a newness of life. It's the same thing as him going in the ground, coming out, resurrection life, right? Everything changes. It's the same thing. What we're doing in baptism is we're saying, I want in on that. And I'm saying, yeah, this is my life. I agree with that right there. Again, the Anabaptists back in 1500s, they turned it into something where it was like, you have to do this. This is your declaration of faith. Why were they doing it? Because they were getting killed. Because they were trying to find out who was in, who was Catholic, who wasn't. Just a little cultural thing for you there. That's not, we've adopted some of that in the church. We've made it about, well, this is my public declaration. It really isn't. It kind of is. It's really more of something that happens inside here where you're just simply saying, I'm going to totally say yes to him. I don't know that I fully understand it. All I know is Jesus said, be baptized. Right? Be dunked. So we're going to dunk some people. There's a few of them we may hold under a little longer than others. (laughs) Just kidding. But there was such a huge, huge shift between what happened in the Old Covenant, John the Baptist, Jesus, two people living in the same time, but were completely polar opposites of each other. And I believe it's because Jesus is wanting to reveal to us it's completely different now, guys. Don't keep living in that Old Covenant stuff. Start living in the New Covenant. There's two kinds of false prophets in the Bible, okay? There's two kinds. First one, and for time's sake, I'm just going to refer to this. Acts chapter 16. Do you guys remember that? Paul traveling in a caravan. There's a girl who starts saying, these men are the prophets of God. Do you remember that? What were they saying? Was it true? It was true. What she was, the words were actually true. What was wrong, what made it a false prophet, a false saying, was the spirit behind it. Oh man, boy, wouldn't that be great if we had more of that in the church? (laughs) She was saying the right thing, but it was coming from a demonic avenue. In other words, 
Satan can send his traffic down the highway that God has already created. You with me? In the entire spiritual realm, think about this for a minute. In the entire spiritual realm, we've been made spiritually alive. Satan can take his traffic and his cargo and run it down the highway that God provided. How do you think tarot cards and mediums and stuff have, are so effective? Is it spiritual? Yes! It's just the wrong one. It's just coming from, it's a, it's a counterfeit. It's a ripoff of the original, but it's, it's, it's cargo that's coming down God's highway. It's just the wrong cargo. Is this making sense? I don't know where that came from, but it was making sense to me. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 16. He calls her out. The spirit that's on her leaves. Now all of a sudden these people don't like them anymore because this woman was making money for them by what she was saying. Now nobody likes them anymore. There's a second kind of a false prophet. It's really, I believe, someone who carries the true prophetic gift, like as in the office of a prophet, Ephesians 4, but they're wa- they've walked away from God. Well, what do you mean? They walked away from God. Can they still prophesy? Absolutely. Romans tells me that the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. They're without repentance. If, if anything, this should tell us God's value that he has for the gifts that he gives to us. He's not, I'm going to give that to you, but if you do anything wrong with it, I'm taking it back. He doesn't work like that. He says, I'm giving you these things knowing full well that you might mess this stuff up. But I value it and I value you. And by the way, I value the people around you so much, I'm not going to take it back. Hopefully this is removing some fear around all this stuff. That's another kind of false prophet, though. They start walking away from God. They still have the ability. They still have the gifting. That's what that says, Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. The giftings and callings are irrevocable. Some say, some versions say they're without repentance. A gift is an ability. A gift is an ability. A calling is an identity. And an anointing is for a purpose. So when you start, we start talking about gifts and callings and anointings, a gift is an ability. It's inside the person. It's a God-given ability to do something. A calling is about identity. Anointing is for a purpose. And anointing is from Christ. <laughs> Did you know that? Yes. Jesus Christ. It's not a first name, last name. Yeah. Christ means Christos, the anointed one. Jesus, the Christ, would be more accurate. Jesus, the Christ. He is the anointed one. And all anointings come from him. All right, we're going to move on here. Look at 1 John. I told you to turn there, right? That was all just set up. 1 John, chapter 4. One of these days, I'm going to do a teaching on just 1 John. This is a very difficult book. It's a difficult book because there's difficult sayings inside of it. But if you don't understand the context and the date and the reason why it was written, we can turn this into some really weird stuff. The core of 1 John, and even 2 and 3 John, has in it, he's addressing a problem that has risen within the church, and the primary problem is called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, and it still runs rampant in the church today, Gnosticism says that the flesh is evil, and everything to do in the natural is meaningless or evil. It's either neutral or evil. It's not good at all. And so only the spiritual matters. 
The problem with that kind of thinking is it takes us out of the reality that we live in now. And the reality that we live in this reality now because it's God dis- God's design. How many of you, when you came to, f- or how many of you know anybody who came to faith in Jesus and all of a sudden went <laughs> straight to heaven? No, we stay on this planet, right? Gnosticism says only the spiritual is what's important. Everything in the flesh doesn't matter at all. So as we're reading through this, I want you to keep that in mind because there's things in here that don't make sense unless you understand that this is the very reason why he's writing back to the church. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Now, this may be a f- familiar passage to you. I remember hearing this one growing up, and again, ooh, many false prophets have gone into the world. Why is it that we as a church read things like that and then all of a sudden get on the defensive? I'm looking for false prophets because they're out in the world. If false prophets have gone out into the world, then perhaps there are true prophets. And maybe I should turn my attention to that. Now, he's warning us to be careful, and he's giving us what these things are for, but I don't want us as a church, and I don't think we suffer from this, but I don't want the church in general to suffer from that kind of fearful approach to the prophetic, looking for false prophets. Just looking around. Is that a false prophet? Was that a false prophecy? Was that? Come on. Learn how to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Find what is good. As a matter of fact, Thessalonians tells us this. It says, do not despise prophecies. It says, test all things. What does it say after that? Hold fast that which is good. Our tendency in the church is test all things and hold fast that which is bad. And then talk about it. Well, that's bad. Well, you see what that guy did? That was awful. We test all things, but we hold fast that which is bad. Bad guy. Bad man. Bad prophecy. I'm serious, guys. I'm, this, maybe, I, maybe I'm just talking out of my own history, but is anybody with me on this? Have you, did you ever grow up in a culture where it was like that? There was so much focus put on looking for the false that you couldn't even see the good. You couldn't find it. And even if there was something false or something not so good in something that's good, we don't even catch what's good because we're so focused on what's wrong. I don't want to live like that. There may be all kinds of stuff we have to sort through and go, okay, not so much. That's good right there. I'm holding on to that piece right there. Test all things, but hold fast that which is good. Don't despise prophecy. So here we have it. Test all spirits to see if they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now that's a weird saying, isn't it? But again, put it into the context of why he wrote the book. Because they were saying that Jesus himself didn't even have a physical body. He was more of an ethereal, almost angelic, but he was a spirit. Boy, if that was all he was, then we really got ripped off. Really got ripped off. And actually, it would make a lot of the word false if Jesus was just a spirit. The word became what? flesh, meat and bone. The word became flesh and dwelt. That is so critically important. He was so much God, absolutely 100%, and he was 100% man. Boy, I fell another bunny path. I will not take it. That's critically important for us, church. We have to remember that. He was fully God and fully man. He set aside his divine prerogative. He set it aside. Thought it not something to be equal with God, right? Philippians 2. He set aside his divine prerogative. Could he have called angels down 
to save him at any moment? Yeah. You know what he did? He set aside his divine prerogative. I said I wasn't going there, but I'm going there. Mark chapter 5. Do you remember the story of the woman with the flow of blood? She comes. She's trying to press through the crowd, and she gets up, finally gets close to him. She touches him just barely, and Jesus goes, I felt power leave me. That passage reveals to me the humanity of Jesus. Because he wasn't thinking. He wasn't thinking about praying for her. He wasn't even looking for her. She's pressing through the crowd. He says, somebody touched me. I felt power go out. All of the disciples are going, what are you talking about? Man, there's a thousand people around you right now. He goes, no, I felt power go out of me. I love that, not just because of what it says, but it says to me right there that Jesus was walking on this earth with a mission. He goes, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. So he's hearing, I don't know what it was in that given moment, but he had heard something from God, was listening to him, was on a mission with God, and on his mission, all of a sudden, somebody gets healed. What happened? Don't you love that? I hope this, it brings it down to some kind of, we can do this. We can walk like this. We can be a people that walk on mission with God, that hear him, walk in the prophetic, but people just touch us and they're getting healed. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Ooh, Antichrist. Oh boy, he comes on the scene now. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you are laughing because you know everybody goes around looking for the Antichrist. Guys, I've heard it. I've seen it. I remember Eight years ago with the last election, or the two elections before that, certain enough, our current president, he's the Antichrist. Come on, really? In other words, we, again, in fear, we start looking for things that don't exist, and we make them out to be. We make them out to be true. When everything I can see in the Word tells me that we're supposed to pray for our leaders, right? <laughs> not sit there and try to find out if they're the Antichrist or not. Listen to what he says. Which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. I believe, for whatever reason, take this for whatever you want, I believe that Antichrist, we start looking for a person way too much when it's floating around all the time. And if we're not paying attention, we can give heed to that and actually channel it ourselves. Antichrist means anti-anointing. That's literally what it means, anti-anointing. We're looking for some kind of evil kind of thing, and it really is anything that's not walking in the anointing of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, you are of God, little children. Somebody say amen to that. And have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Good, half of you like that one. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Okay. They are of the world, therefore... They speak as of the world, and the world hears them. How how do you identify false prophets? How does the world speak? When a prophecy comes and it makes you feel like the world, which is shame, guilt, fear, then you know. Because they speak as of the world. When you hear a true prophetic word, what's it going to do? It's going to wake up that reality of the inside of who you really are. It'll start to wake it up. 
Courtney, I'll pick on you a little bit. Um, even this morning, with what she was doing in the ministry time, leading the way she was leading right there, I felt that. Did you guys feel that? It wasn't just that it was a good word. It was at the right time. And as she's doing that, I felt it. What I felt, Courtney, specifically with you, is it's easy to look at something like that and go, man, she's gifted. I don't think that's the truth. I think you are the gift. I think it's you. I think it's who you are. In other words, you can't teach that. It's just that thing inside of you that you know and you're connected with something. You're walking in the anointing in Christ and you start to just ooze. You start to leak it out and it's like, yeah, that's so wonderful. That's the gift. That's who you are. It's, it's so wonderful. All right, I'll stop picking on you. Why? Because it starts to bring alive what heaven is saying. It's not, about, it's not making you feel like anything else. It's okay to be in the process the world would say, you're not a butterfly yet? Yeah. Dang, man. Well, whenever you become a butterfly, then you can hang with me. Yeah. That's what the world would say. God is saying, it doesn't matter. It's all part of this process you're in the middle, you're going through right now. As a matter of fact, don't lose that because you'll miss his hand in the middle of it. You'll miss what he's saying. Where are we? Verse six. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He who knows God knows his body. This is really important too. Are you guys still with me in the room? He who knows God knows his body. False prophets, false prophets, they live isolated. They don't want to be connected to the body. If if anything changed from Old Covenant to New Covenant, Old Testament prophets were not connected. They 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 were the ones. And if you notice, they lived outside the camp most of the time. We see people in the new covenant as prophets trying to live outside the camp. You can't live outside the camp. We're all one part of one body. We're connected to each other. Does this make sense? We're connected to each other. We need each other. Prophets carry a significant amount of what we need, but they don't carry everything. We need the body. Another thing about false prophets, they won't come under any kind of authority. Jesus is their only authority. I answer to Jesus. Wow, that's unfortunate. Because I have people I answer to. Jesus is my king. That's right, I do answer to him, but I also answer to other people around me. I'm not an island, I don't live like that. But when you start to bring challenge to that, what a false prophet will do is they'll take it on as a martyr syndrome. I'm being persecuted for God. Guys, this sounds like it's extreme, but I've run into it. I've run into it in this building. Verse 7, Beloved, Here we go. You ready? Rubber's about to meet the road. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Love looks like something. It's not just words. Verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, verse 9, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Come on, that's good. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. He didn't send his only son into the world so that we could try to figure out what's right and wrong. (laughs) Hello? We do it. We do it all the time. What's right? What's wrong? What's right? What's wrong? Peter got it. Jesus, you alone have the words of life. It's all about life and death, guys. It's not about right and wrong. This entire Christian life that we live in is about life and death. It's not about right and wrong. I know that's messing some of you up. Just ponder it. Meditate on it for a while. Sit with the Holy Spirit. 
Seriously, meditate on that for a while. Show me, God, what that means. You're not, it's not about right and wrong. It's about life and death. I tell you what, I went through a transformation a number of year ago, years ago, and it's not, I don't feel like I'm all the way there. But when I started to get a real grip that it's really about life and death and it's not about right and wrong, I started to understand a compassion. I started to feel a compassion that I never had for people before. Because I, I stopped saying, this is right and this is wrong. I started saying, God, that's life and that's death. And all of a sudden, I started to move into a place of compassion. And I wasn't looking at the actions anymore. I started looking at what's going on inside the heart. And I remember getting a revelation on this. It started to happen. Then I started reading. I think it was Matt, no, Matthew 9, Mark 9. I can't remember. And it says of Jesus that he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. I was like, that's it. That's it right there. He's not looking for right and wrong. He never did. That's why he showed up and hung out in bars and had keggers. <laughs> it's because he saw life and death, right? Really is all about what God intended for us at the beginning, right? The trees. One of them had to do with right and wrong, knowledge of good and evil, and the other one had to do with life. And as soon as we started eating from that old tree, now everything's about right and wrong. I don't want to eat from that tree anymore. I want to eat from the tree of life. False prophets, they lack love. This is the number one marker. It's the number one marker. If you want to know if it's a false prophet, if they don't have any love in them, sorry, everything comes down to this. Everything comes down to this. Verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Oh, come on. Doesn't that feel good? Let me say that again. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness in the day of judgment. In other words, the day of judgment comes and we're not sitting there in fear. We're going, I know who I am. I know who he is. Let's bring that down to the practical. IRS knocks on your door. We need to take a look at your record. Love's been perfected when you go, come on in. Come on in, take a look. Go through whatever you want to go through. Unwrap me, look at my CV, do whatever you want to do. Come on, you want to live like that? Yeah. Love has been perfectus in us, in us when we don't fear judgment. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That word says torment in my Bible, verse 18. Some of them say punishment. That really is a more accurate word because fear involves punishment. Again, I like to take things down to a practical level. Uh, we have three kids, 21, 15, and 10. And to this day, I have never used language about punishing them. Never. I never say to them, your punishment is this. I'm going to punish you. I never say that because the word itself, fear, is all involved in that. And the word Punish comes from the word punitive, which means to pay for. And if I'm bringing into my house an attitude of you have to pay for what you just did wrong, then I'm bringing the Antichrist. Is this making sense? Because I'm teaching them that they have to pay for whatever they've done wrong to make something right. Is there discipline? Heck yeah. There is, but there's not punishment. You see the difference? Discipline has in it discipleship, meaning to learn. And I'm interested in that. I'm interested in the learning. 
I'm not interested in them getting things right and wrong. You're tracking with me. In the new covenant, a prophet, a true prophet, will catch that heart. And they will not be about getting things right and wrong. They're about people learning. Go all the way back to 1 Corinthians 14. You'll see it reiterated again. It's about people learning. It's about people growing. A true prophet will not come in with an upper hand or a hierarchy or a level up here saying, I've got this. If only you were as good as I was. A true prophet, get this, is not going to come in and try to fear you into the right thing. Is this helping? Really what I want to see is a culture shift. This is not just about a teaching. I want to see a culture shift even with who we are right here that we have such an ease and a flow with the prophetic that people just recognize sometimes we're going to get it wrong, but it's not about the right and wrong. It's about the life and death. Is there words of life in what you're saying to me right now? Is this making me come alive inside when you're speaking this right now? When somebody speaks something to me, there's times or even happened this morning, Joe gave me a word. I still don't know what it means, but when he spoke it, it felt good. I'm going to hold on to that, and I'm going to be like, okay, what is that? God, what is that about? All I know is that felt good. That wasn't judgmental right there at all, even close. What, there was some, I don't even know what that means, but I know it felt really good. So God, what is that? I want, I want to hold on to that. I'd said earlier on in this series, whenever a prophetic word comes to you, it's like God's giving you a seed. Now, you can hold on to it, keep it in your pocket, but the seed will never grow. You've got to take it, plant it, steward it, water it, take care of it, and ultimately it turns into the very thing that was prophesied before you. How many of you in here have prophetic words in your life that you haven't seen them come about yet? Me too. I do know this. I still have some like that. That's okay. I had one of them that was given to me when I was 16 years old. I didn't start to recognize it until I was almost 38. I held on to the word, and I kept saying, God, this is what you said. God, this is what you said. This is what you said. What I was doing was taking the word and putting it down in my pocket. And all I did was hold on to it. You said this, you said this, you said this. But finally, I started to realize, man, I have to put this into action, start believing that it's true. So I would take it out and would start to sow it into places where I felt like it was good ground. And next thing you know, all of a sudden, my influence started to grow. And the very thing that he had been prophesied over me started to happen. Does this make sense? There's a responsibility to take what you've been given and do something with it. Everybody stand up here with me. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. When Jesus was telling the story about the wise man and the foolish man, and the wise man built his house on the rock, the foolish man built his house on the sand, I don't know why, but that has such a strong meaning to me when it comes to this topic of the prophetic because I don't want to build a life in the prophetic on sand what what does that mean I don't want to build my life in the prophetic on monolithic scriptures that I find just throughout the Bible this little scripture here and I'll build a prophetic thing off of that build one off of this right here I want the entire comprehensiveness of scripture to build the prophetic off of that's why we're talking about this I want to delineate between old covenant and new covenant Take the entirety of it. Hold on to it. Dig into it. It's solid. You can count on it. That's building on the rock. Building on the sand is taking these little things over here and just, you know, I know we all have verses that I hold on to. Romans 12, 1 and 2, those are mine. You can borrow them whenever you want. They're mine. 
I know we have all those things like that, but I also know too, I can't build off of that right there. I've got to start taking in the rest of scripture and the comprehensiveness of it and start looking at it and going, okay, God, show me the rest of this thing. Round this thing out for me. I want to live like this. So hold your hands out like we often do in here. Yeah, Lord, I can't impart anything other than what you've given to me, but Lord, I know you are Jesus in this room right now and you are the anointed one, and you are the ultimate imparter. And guys, impartation is really nothing more than someone stirring up something that's really already inside of you. Because I can't give you a gift. He gives gifts. So I'm praying right now that the prophetic gift that has been given to you as a member of the church, the body of Christ, would begin to be stirred up right now, that you would begin to wake up in the middle of the night with dreams, that you would be, in the course of your day, have visions, that you would begin to see things on and around people that are so helpful that they need to hear, that you need to speak, that you would begin to see them. I pray you have open visions, that your eyes would just see things. Even in the natural, you would see things that just like appear. You see them and you know that they're there. Lord, I'm asking for this because I know that you have given prophecy as a gift to your church so that we can all be edified, so we can all be built built up into your house, built up like living stones into your house. Lord, that's my cry. That's my heart, Lord Jesus. If anybody wants to be a part of this with me, just say amen. Amen. I want to see it happen. I want to see more of the prophetic flow like a river, like a crazy river. It runs through this place where people are just encouraging, giving words, speaking the very heart, the very mind of God wherever we go. And God, I pray that we lose any kind of mindset that says it's restricted to the service time. Then I can prophesy when I walk out this door. I can prophesy over that waitress at Outback. I can prophesy over the attendant at that Wawa station. Yes, Lord, that's what we want. That's what we want. Again, if you want some of that, just say amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, God bless you all. Ministry teams, if you would come up here. Um, If you guys need prayer for anything, we're going to have people standing up here that will pray for you. And guarantee you, someone, we're going to prophesy over you. Um, So go ahead and make your way up here, guys. If you know know who you are, just come on up here. Um, But in the meantime, we're going to release you guys. And you have something? Yeah. Okay. It's okay to share this. Officers down, shooting two miles from my house. Please pray. Four shot on airline by my house. Three dead in utter chaos and turmoil. Pray for peace. All right, right now, that's what we do. That's happening in Baton Rouge. In Baton Rouge. So right now, Lord, all that stuff that's unfolding right now, Lord, I pray right now the violence cease right now. All of it stop right now. We speak to that even though it's hundreds of miles away. We're speaking to it right now and we're saying all of it stop and cease. And anything that has been intended to be violent that hasn't happened right now, it ends. It ends right now in the name of Jesus. Every person that has violent intent in their heart right now, I pray the presence of Jesus Christ manifest all over you. I'm praying right now for every family that's affected by this. Just the outfall that we can't even see yet. Right now, Lord, we're declaring into this situation that you will make yourself known, that you will make yourself great, that you will make yourself real, that you will manifest yourself in the middle of it so that nobody gets left out and nobody is left with this sense of tragedy and loss. But they find in it, Lord, they find you, Jesus. 
They find you the king of kings. They find you the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life. So we're prophesying that right now. Resurrection and life. Resurrection and life. All that in Baton Rouge that's happening right now. Resurrection and life. Come on, doesn't it feel good to be a part of the kingdom of God? That you can direct that stuff? Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. That profound peace that you say you give that goes beyond all human understanding. You yourself, the Prince of Peace, Lord, manifest yourself right now in the middle of all that. All that chaos, all that violence right now. All of it ends right now and peace settle in. Settle in. Peace settle in right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Everyone affected right now in that area. I'm just, I, vision, I see it in my mind's eye right now. Everybody that's affected right now, I'm seeing peace absolutely saturate that place. Every harmful intent right now just dies. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I say the kingdom is rising. It's not falling. I say the presence of Jesus Christ is becoming more known, not less known. And I'm saying that we are going to be a people that look for the good, that hold fast that which is good. We're going to declare it. We're going to declare it, and we're going to hold fast that which is good. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.